Welcome once again to another LifeWords Q&A podcast. Once again, ripe with brilliant answers to curly questions. David Ray, thank you again for joining us for another podcast. Thanks, Dwayne. And this week, we're going to look into borrowing and lending money. Bad language. On the face of it, sure, we shouldn't use it. But, but why are Christians particularly hung up about it? Then there's this one, hell. Now, David, we've spoken about hell in the past, but this question is quite specific. Did Jesus descend into hell? Well, some of our creeds use this phrase. I think last few Sundays, I think we said the creed, which says he descended into hell. Um, Now, I think, in fact, it's more accurate to say in the words of the creed that he went to the place of the dead. He died. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our creeds, the way they were first formulated, I think that's all they were really trying to say, that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended, uh, that. So I think it's 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 actually more like he's going to what we call Hades. There's a difference in the Bible between Hades, which is the place of the departed, and hell, which is the place of um, damnation. Uh, um, damnation and rejection and so yeah. on and so on. And yet... I reckon that in a way he did go to hell. And I I, I say that because of what he said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Interestingly, it was the only time Jesus didn't call God Father. It's the only time he ever called God God. And so something had happened. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While he was hanging there on the cross, he was forsaken by God, utterly forsaken by God. And therefore, you could argue, by extension, that therefore he was experiencing hell, which, however you define it, uh, is separation from God, abandonment mm-hmm. by God. Um, and, and why was he doing that? Well, he was bearing the sins of the whole world. We know God can't look on sin. What was happening when Jesus was on the cross? Somehow, in a way, we can't understand all the sins of humanity, past, present and future are all loaded on him. They're all compressed and condensed on him on the cross. And as if there's the sins like this, great big black shroud over him and he can't look at God and God can't look at him because of the sin. So in that sense, he did go to hell um, as expressed by that separation on the cross. And there's also a rather a funny old passage, I think it's in 1 Peter, where it describes him um, preaching to the so-called spirits in prison. And that's a bit of a contentious verse, but I suspect what it means is that he's proclaiming his victory over death and evil to people who were actually um, bound for hell. He wasn't giving them a second chance. He was just saying, look what I've done. You thought evil had won. No, it hasn't. I've won. So that gives you a little, perhaps a little bit of a hint, although it's an ambiguous verse, that maybe he did, in fact, as it were, descend to hell, experience God forsakenness, and show those in hell, hey, I've won. I, I'm, I, I, I've actually triumphed, um, whereas you might thought um, I haven't. Um, however, however, we understand that, um, whether he did or he didn't. Uh, we certainly know he triumphed over sin, and we certainly know he didn't stay in hell. We know yeah. that for a fact. Absolutely. I, I get a sense when, when I hear you speaking about that moment on the cross, for instance, that, that I can think of no more hellish place than the kind of utter isolation, the 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 incredible oppressive loneliness that must have been coursing through Christ as he was there, where where all of his life as a man had been so interwoven. Mm. That that renting of the relationship, that utter destruction of that relationship, I can imagine no more desolate place. And and if you've got another word than hell for that, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> well, you see, we can't... You're so right. 
we can't identify with that. You and I experience times of God-forsakenness. Yeah. But that's often because we have actually, as it were, bought it on ourselves a bit. We have moved away from God. And even if we experience what um, some of the great Christian writers have called the dark night of the soul, and there is such a thing as that spiritual darkness where God seems to withdraw from us. He hasn't really, but experientially it seems as though he has. Um, but, But the difference between our feeling of forsakenness at those times and Jesus is that Jesus only ever knew perfect communion with his Father where we've never known it. Yeah. All our communion with God, all our relating to God has been imperfect. So when we experience the depths of abandonment from God, like David in the Psalms um, expresses and so on, we are expressing something real. But it's not the same nature as what Jesus experienced. Because Jesus had known 100% pure, perfect communion with God. And so, 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 so the contrast between that and his experience on the cross is devastating and inexplicable to us because we, when we experience God-forsakenness, we are experiencing a, a relative loss of God's presence, whereas Jesus is experiencing something absolute. LifeWords Q&A is the kind of interactive uh, part of LifeWords, our daily devotional, that you can receive by subscribing at hopemedia.com.au or hope1032.com.au. And David Ray is the author of that daily devotional and here answering questions that have been provided through our email inbox. And you can send your question to lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. To our next question, David, I have a family member who is always wanting to borrow money or be given money. He knows I'm a Christian, and I'm sure he's playing on my conscience. What is the Christian thing to do? Yeah, it's really really hard, that, because I can understand why he's playing on your conscience. Um, um, Because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, give to whoever asks. But I'd want to say, and this might sound a bit off to people, but um, you can't always take Jesus literally. Um, when he was asking you to chop off your hand and pluck out your eye and all this and to hate your parents and so on. No, 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 he's, he's, he's using language in a certain way. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, I think he was certainly saying when he was saying give to whoever who asks, in the context he's arguing against a legalistic mentality which sets limits on love. He mm. was saying don't don't become narrow and stingy and legalistic in your generosity. And when he says give to whoever asks, I don't think for one minute he is saying that you give literally to whoever who asks you in everyday life because that would become absolutely um, impossible because if you then did that you were not then necessarily therefore practicing wise stewardship of your possessions and you might end up having nothing to give um, um, in the end anyway Um, uh, is it wise to give to people who ask to encourage too much dependency or to give money to people who will misuse it we know that don't we many churches are, are, are Proceed sometimes by people who say, give me money, give me money, give me money. And most churches and churches that I was involved with did, did, did something quite different. We said, here is a food voucher. Yeah. Uh, here is here is some other form of non-cash benefit that, yes, we, we, we want to help you, but we're not necessarily going to give you money. Implied here is that this family member is um, is perhaps not very wise with money. I'm assuming, and mm. from the tenor of the question, it's not a crisis situation. They certainly like, would appear to be manipulative. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. It's not a case of if a family member says, help, I've got this crisis, 
please, can you help me? Well, I'm sure that's a different issue altogether. But here is someone playing on your conscience, as you say, being manipulative. And I think there, I think you've got to really be able to stand firm, assuming you believe that person is being manipulative and not going to use the money wisely to say, no, first of all, um, whether you say it out loud or not, you are not the one to define my Christian faith. Thank you very much. I, I, I will define it. Mm. I will determine before God what is right or not right to do because that family member is somehow or other exerting a sort of blackmail on you. They're saying to you, you've got to, you're a Christian, therefore you've got to give me this or do this. Well, it's not up to them to actually say that. I, as a Christian, have got to make my own decisions, not under the compulsion of someone else. Um, um, now, this may arouse opposition or even anger, um, but you see, here I'd have to say is it's not necessarily the Christian imperative or duty uh, to smooth things over. Sometimes being a Christian means, as Jesus himself says that, sometimes I, I, I will bring division into a family. And this may be one of those cases where you say, sorry, um, because I am a Christian, I want to use my money wisely. I want to be accountable to God, not to you for the use of my money, and therefore I may not give money. Now, of course, you may want to give money to the person. It may be the best thing to do. Um, but but the generosity issue has to be balanced by wise managing of your money. It's Generosity can only be real generosity if it's done freely and cheerfully, as it were, uh, not under this sort of compulsion. Uh, if someone... Um, takes hold of me by the collar and says you give this money to me well if I give it's not generosity yeah. it's, it's just really a response to a threat it's extortion it's, it's extortion <laughs> now now, of course this person may well want to give money to their family member and so on and so on time, but I think it's a time to draw a line and say look it is not necessarily the Christian thing uh, to, to give um, willy nilly to all um, and it may have to be sadly that you may have to say well look I, I don't really believe that the money's being used wisely here because you are a steward of that money and while stewardship should never be used as an excuse for not being generous, my point is that if you're going to give to that family member all the time and you, you're casting doubts about how well they'll use the money, you are not able to be generous in a broader sense. David, it would seem there's also a distinction between give to whomever may ask and give whatever they ask. Oh, yes. That, that sometimes... Yes. The, the giving is a response, but it doesn't necessarily need to be necessarily exactly what it is that's been asked for. Oh, that's right. The, 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 the thing that you might want to give them is um, um, a few appointments with a financial counsellor yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and so on. That, that, that's, that's exactly right. You, you know, you, you, we're not bound to actually uh, give. I mean, m many of us will, will uh, be really aware of the stresses we have when someone asks us for money and... Every bone in our body, from a Christian point of view, says, oh, I'd love to be able to just give you the money to help you out. But another part of us says, oh, is this the wisest thing to do? And many people can sort of finesse that by, you know, taking the person for a cup of coffee or giving them a food voucher or something like that. But it is one of those many, many cases, Dwayne, where we have it that where where if you pluck a little verse out of Scripture like Jesus says, give to whoever asks you, oh, yeah. well, therefore, everyone who asks for money... I've got to respond to, but as you say, it's 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 a bit more subtle than that. It's not quite as easy as that. And as a as a as a leader in this conversation, uh, Christ didn't always grant every wish. He no. certainly listened to every plea, and the scriptures make it clear that he responded. But it wasn't always the response that was expected. Oh no, no. And, um 
Peter and the apostles did that in the temple, didn't he? When the, yes. the beggars asking for money, and he said, "Well, sorry, <laughs> haven't haven't got any actually, haven't got any on me." But um, how about rising up and walk? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. yeah, you're right. J- Jesus reserved the right to be able to respond uh, in in a wise and godly way to people, rather than the demands put on him. And I think in this particular situation, this person is is quite right in resisting the demand. Mm-hmm. That is um, that is on you. Um, I've heard of um, missionaries in my experience who've been on the mission field, and in some cultures, it is regarded as a thing. You go to the missionary, as it were, give me more money, give me more money. And missionaries apparently have to be very strong in this and say, no, we draw a line. We will help you in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but uh, we 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 cannot. We're not here to simply hand out the money. And I don't think this particular Christian family member is there to hand out the money. And by saying no, they hopefully, in the providence of God, they may well cause this family member, this other family member, to uh, think again. We're praying that's a useful response. Thank you for your question. To our last one, actually before we go to our last question for this week's podcast, if you have a question that's on your heart or perhaps a a point of clarification you'd like to explore, then why not send your question to our mailbox? It's lifewords at hopemedia.com.au and David Ray might be attending to your needs sometime very soon. To our last question, David, we hear so much about bad language today. In fact, it's all around us. Why is this so, and why do Christians think that such language is wrong? It's a good question, um, because yeah, it, it begs the question, who defines what's good and bad language? Yes. Um, and I don't know whether I've got an answer to that. But, um, you see, I might object to how someone uses language, and they might look at me and say, what? Uh, sorry, that, that's just a normal, that's not swearing to me, thank yes. you very much. So yeah. who... Who defines what it's wearing? And, and that has changed over the years. There's no doubt about Dude. that. Um, unfortunately, in answering this question, I can't actually use examples because yes. I'm sure that... But um, there are some that come to mind, I think, for all <laughs> right. of us. Yeah. But, but I know when I was growing up, my father, who, who was a man of the world in very many ways, um, would absolutely, absolutely steadfastly forbid any any swearing, even of the mild, what we call, call the milder sort in our home. Yeah. Whereas he might swear in the workplace and so yes. on, but in front of my mother and sister, oh, no, 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 mustn't do that. But that has changed in many families that I'm aware of. Um, swearing is just a very casual part of the... Voc- it, it wouldn't be seen as swearing at all. It's just simply part of the vocabulary of people. And I suppose that's part of the, the, the inevitable evolution of language. Language changes. There's certain language that was very rude at one time but is not rude now or vice versa and so on. And we also, I think, recognise that people are far more inclined to insist on their own rights to speak as they wish rather than respect the sensitivities of others. I think that's a sad comment on our society today, but I think many people will say, well, I don't care what you think, whether you find it offensive, I've got the right to use mm. this language and therefore I'll use it. So we're back to this question of, well, well, when is a swear word a swear word and who actually defines um, whether it's a swear word? Uh, because many people are saying, look, we make up our own rules now, thank you very much. Uh, we're impatient with the old rules of etiquette and who's to tell me whether this word is a swear word or not? But you see, um, I think we can in fact um, make judgments on certain sorts of language. Certainly, certainly from a Christian point of view, I think blasphemy is clear enough yeah. because it mistreats names we regard as special. But when when people do say, as it's almost common, you just hear all the time, oh my God, oh my yeah. God, oh my God. Yeah. Um, I must admit, as one person, I, I'm immune to that. 
Um, uh, do I regard it as blasphemy? Well, maybe I should. Yeah. Maybe I should. I'm not 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 um, um, absolving myself of blame here. But but it's just one experience that's just come to me where I think, well, well, yes, I'm becoming perhaps immune to this sort of language. Whereas years ago. This is where kids, David, are an awesome resource. My, my kids, who are six and nine, pick up on people using that a lot around me and have been known, actually, to remonstrate with them for doing so, which is proven to be awkward in its own right on occasion. But having, having said that, they've alerted me to what it is I've become comfortable with, not in using, but in hearing around me. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that, that, that's right. So we, we want to avoid becoming, uh, you know, moral guardians of society, picking people up on absolutely everything. Don't use the word God. I mean, don't use, don't use um, the word Jesus. Don't use this, yeah. don't use this. I might find it offensive and I might never use those terms, but it becomes then a matter of, well, what right have I got to insist that other people don't? I may be able to insist on it in certain public forums, but in private conversation, I, I, I think a Christian may be entitled to say, politely and sensitively to another person whom they've got a relationship with, look, um, I'd rather you not use that word or I find that a problem. Uh, and if that person's got any sensitivity, would say, oh, oh I'm sorry, I, I, won't, I won't use that language in front of you. And I think there's, there's, there's no harm done there. There's also, you see, another category of swearing that I think is offensive because it expresses deep anger yeah. and also um, a distorted sort of um, um, sexual um, passion um, you know that, that that any language I think which demeans sexuality or other people other races and so on is offensive because it demeans something of value um, so so I think where I have a problem with bad language is threefold one is the blasphemy problem where people are demeaning the name of Jesus particularly. Number two, where it's that bad language arises out of sheer hatred and ungodly anger. And number three, where it demeans um, a, uh, a certain race or, 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 or demeans women because a lot of swear words are surrounding women. Uh, I think that is offensive because I think it demeans things of value. Uh, so that's where I find the problems with, uh, uh, but I must say, and this, this might be a reflection of my conformity to culture, but a lot of what I might call just what I call casual swearing, and I can think of people right now who, who uh, I, I mix with who use what we would call swear words very casually and very frequently and honestly, mm. it goes right over my head as it were, and that may be a, a critical comment on me, but on the other hand, I think, no, I want to differentiate that person who uses that occasional swear word is almost like just part of their vocabulary from the violently offensive and demeaning words which I sometimes hear and the blasphemous words which I sometimes hear. Now, just just one last thing about that is that that when people are saying, well, yeah, but what about Jesus? Doesn't he condemn swearing? No. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about swearing oaths, and that's not what we're talking about here. He was talking about um, your truthfulness is to be based on the state of your heart, not on using elaborate oaths, which were part of his culture. So when Jesus says, you will not swear by heaven or by earth and so on, he's not talking about bad language. He's talking about the elaborate use of oaths, which were used in his day to sort of somehow or other um, get around obligations. So, so Jesus actually doesn't pronounce, I think, on the swearing issue, but I think he would certainly, in the biblical teaching generally, would say, 
blasphemies out, um, violently offensive language it demeans other people, that's out as well. Yeah. David Ray, it's been a joy catching up again. Thank you for your time answering the questions through our LifeWords email box. And you can have your question answered likewise by emailing lifewords at hopemedia.com.au around uh, questions of life and faith. David, thank you. Thank you, Dwayne.